Hello everyone and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of Vintage FM in Penrith. I'm Troy Dodds and in this podcast series I'll be joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and their role in its history. My guest today is Ross Hutchison, an absolute ball of energy. He was one of Penrith's most lovable characters. He's had a long and varied career and it'll be hard to fit it all in, but we'll do our best. I really hope you enjoy our chat. Ross, welcome to the On The Record podcast. Troy Dodds, good morning. Great to be with you, champion. I don't know where to begin, Ross, but let's let's <laughs> go right back to the start. Uh, where were you born and uh, what was your childhood like? Uh, well, very busy, all of it. From day one, I was born at King George V in Sydney. And I was born at a very young age, and born, <laughs> and it was downtown Marigville, I think it would have been there. Yep. And that's about where my performing career started at the age of four, when my I, I disappeared apparently, and next thing my mum and dad found me centre stage in the middle of somebody else's concert. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed it. I sang a song, and the place went into an uproar. Huge applause! <laughs> I stole their hearts, and I decided what a good feeling that was, and I've stayed there ever since. What were your mum and dad like? Were they in the industry? At Absolutely all? none. I am really what we term as the black sheep of the family. There's never been any. I guess my mum and dad. Oh, not dad, but mum did a little bit of tap dancing in the bush because uh, we're all from the bush. Mum and dad were married in West Wyong, and then they travelled down to Sydney and. I think, and I did my first official tap dancing classes in what was the Scouts Hall in in Parramatta. Okay, and what were your mum and dad like? They were confused, I guess, because having a son like I, I, I had a very great childhood. My mum and dad they they were not born with a silver spoon, and they worked very hard. Dad ended up being the president of the Parramatta RSL Club, and that was a very famous club that he and all my uncles. All of his mates, they built that club down there. When we moved to Westmead, now I'd moved to the Westmead area from Marrickville because of being a chronic asthmatic case. And being a chronic asthmatic, that was the reason why I began dancing, which led me into my tap dancing and ballet career and and gymnastics. Now, there was some heartbreak for your family, though, um, because your sister was, was killed in the Granville train disaster, which you spoke about last year pretty extensively at the the 40th anniversary. Yes. Um, That must have been a tough time for the family. My mum never slept another night after that, and my dad the same. Mum and dad ended up with uh, two ugly sons, and they lost their gorgeous daughter. And the love of that too, I have two gorgeous daughters, and my brother has two gorgeous daughters. Mm. So there's been that contretemps, and uh, yeah, but it was... A horrible time in everybody's life and it lives with me every day since it comes up every day of my life for those 40 odd years how important was the the anniversary last year particularly given there was an apology as part of that as well uh i think you numb yourself to it and yes i was glad there was an apology yes it was the rail department and the government's fault the wheels of the track of the car that came off they should have been replaced 50,000 kilometres before that. It's all stated, it's all fact now, and I think it took them a lot of courage in to do that. Uh, and probably, Troy, let's take the positives out of it, is that from that accident in the 
rise of the ambulance uh, workers, the paramedics, the uh, rescue mob and the police, all of that and the hospitals, they learned so much from mm. that so that now all of our safety aspects, I'm sure that the railways, I'm sure the departments of of the police and of the ambulances and the, and the paramedics, and that the skills they've gained from that has saved many hundreds of lives since uh, in the way of conducting and releasing people that are trapped. They've learned so many things. So I'll take the positive from that and say from it we have grown uh, and thank God we've been able to save hundreds of hundreds of lives that would have otherwise perished. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned you moved to Westmead, um, so then Western Sydney becomes a big part of your life, but it's, um, it's in the 1980s that you find Penrith as, as your home, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that was because of my career had virtually taken me around the world and I'd come back to open Jupiter's Casino and that was for Jim McDonald, great producer. You remember St George Leagues Club. It was the the halcyon of show business and it was the Las Vegas of Australia in those days. My career had been through the major, what is called now, musical theatre for J.C. Williamson's, for the Tivoli, da-da-da-da-da-da-dum, and all of the cabaret stuff that I'd been able to do now. Jim McDonald, I'd choreographed something else for Jim at the uh, St George Leagues, and then he took me then to open uh, Jupiter's Casino in Queensland. And during that time, and also that year I opened the State Sports Centre, directed and choreographed the opening of that. And that time, somewhere, Roger Cowan, one of our great mentors here of, of, of Penrith and Panthers as well, with John Harris H, he, um, he uh, approached me up there while I was doing the opening of Jupiter's Casino and said, I need you to open the new Panthers. And I said, I've got to get back and do this. I've got to get – at the end of the day, truthfully, John uh, Hansen, he said, Jock would want you to do this for me. Now, the Jock was Johnny O'Keefe because I'd been Johnny O'Keefe's choreographer as well. I'd won dance competitions on his show nationally and uh, and it was really an emotional blackmail. And I said, I said to John – Hanson, I said, this is blackmail. I said, you know what I love? Everybody loved Johnny O'Keefe, but I had a mm. great affinity for the man, great respect. And he said, yes, it is, Roscoe. You will open my new club <laughs> in John's name. So I did. And now he said, look, I only need you there three months. Do what you've done up here at Jupiter's Casino, all the stuff that you've been asked to do in Vegas and Paris and London. And I said, okay, three months. Well, I'm still here. <laughs> and and what was Penrith like then in the in the mid nineteen eighties? Well, when we were building, like I had my beautiful gas girls and my living flame, the Walton's girls. No, my dancers always the top dancers internationally, and I brought them out. So and coming up the back stairs, we were literally at times these gorgeous, glamorous girls, international stars of television, video clips and commercials and everything that I used my girls in and boys. Uh, we literally climbed those back stairs when they were building the new Panthers. It was mud heap. We got our cars bogged. <laughs> it was the most unglamorous uh, entrance to any great new emporium. But eventually it all had that all happened and then while I was doing that, Bryn Miller, who's now, he was the entertainment's manager. I'd worked very closely with Bryn and then with 
Greg Hinvest, who's now at the Rowers, and and Bryn, he's with Maryland's. They were great people to work with. And I said, well, what I'll need to do, because I can't keep bringing my international dancers out here every mm. week, uh, I'll train the, the kids. So that's where the, the program started. We called it the Panther Cubs because they were the junior Panthers. And from that, I've developed other dancers who are now dancing all over the world and choreographing all over the world. So it was... It was yet just another big theatre for me, mm. but it was exciting because as a young boy, my grandparents lived at Kingswood and I used to swim and fish in the Nepean River. Mm. So you've always and, had a connection with Penrith uh, in one way or another. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do remember the little wooden hut that my nan and pop had over there against the railway line in the Kingswood end of mm. Of Penrith, and we used to walk through those paddocks to get to Penrith, mm. where there were bulls, where the car sales yards are. Yeah. They were all bullock paddocks and and sheep, and yeah. uh, so, uh, and I always loved it. I've always been a bushy. I uh, I love the bush. Let's go back a, a little bit um, into history before the performing arts started. Was it true that you potentially were going to become an accountant? I I am a chartered accountant. I couldn't okay. do it these days. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that was one of my dad's professions. And when, uh, while I was at school, I was doing a lot of television and stage work while I was still at school. And just one of the things I uh, decided I would do is to become a chartered accountant. And I trained under the great Donald Barnby Lewis, who's still a great hero in my life. And uh, it was a company called Blackett and Lewis. And uh, I arranged, I became their senior auditor. And uh, I was trusted with a lot of experience. But as I say to every every person and every kid, particularly when I'm doing my big brother Roscoe talks, it doesn't matter what you learn in life, it never goes to waste. And here I am at this end of the scale because I'm co-producing but I'm directing and choreographing a massive international movie, mm. uh, which requires me to understand different rates of exchange, what it means when they say this many thousands of dollars, is that American or is that Euros? Or So I'm able to work with a budget and I'm working with many millions of dollars at this moment on this first movie. But that background, not only from my creativity because eventually the creative person burst forth and I, I found that just getting yet another balance sheet out was never going to satisfy me for too much longer. And so I went into the theatre full time where I've been ever since. But that background as a chartered accountant had me in good stead for dealing with many big companies, huge companies. As you say, you go into show business mainly as a, as a dancer, but as, as TV evolves, you're a, you're a big part of that as well. Um, tell us about those days. Um, you worked with some pretty incredible people in the early days of, uh, of TV in Australia. One of the joys of life, mate, is that, as I openly humbly say, that I'm the sum total of every person that's touched my life. And to think that a boy who was, as an asthmatic, I was due to be dead at age eight. Dance, gymnastics and the performing arts literally saved my life. I've never had asthma from the day I started dancing. So, yeah, I'm inspired by people and to know that that this little black duck got up to be the choreographer for years and the major dancer on the major variety television show in Australia for years and I danced and choreographed on every other channel in, in Australia at that time. I'm literally and technically a television pioneer. 
when it was way mm. back in black and white. And that was when I was at school. I, I, I am an official pioneer of Australian television. And that is a great honour because I got then through that process working with the Dick Bentleys and the Lorraine Desmonds and to be Liza Minnelli's dancer and to dance with Sammy Davis Jr., to be the number one choreographer dancer for Australia, to have won that many awards internationally for Australia with what I've done here. And the names that I got to work with, I mean, I was there with ABBA, I was there. I mean, it's hard. That's what I enjoy so much with, with Vintage as well mm. because we play all of those songs. A lot of them I did the video clips for, yep. which were a lot different to the way we do video clips today. Absolutely. And um, as part of the TV a bit later on, how does, uh, how does Humphrey B. Bear come into your life? Humphrey's been part of my life now for over 50 years, even though he's only four. <laughs> uh, officially, but the the joy of being with Humphrey all those times, uh, he is an amazing character. I laugh at everything he does too, and I watch him get into trouble just like every one of us children get into trouble. I've watched him inspire the children to have their immunisation done. I've watched him find uh, with a couple of Mar- uh, Marty and Emu with the Super Flying Fun Show that we did together, apart from the Humphrey, Here's Humphrey Show, uh, things where we found Argentine ants. He is just so responsible for so many people and so many kids particularly. He has taught thousands and thousands, and this is all accredited, children to speak, children to read, children to write. Mm. And one of the times, under uh, the great things that I said uh, about the Humphrey story is that even when I'd take Humphrey and we would visit children's hospitals and people who were infirmed, young and old, and some that were we knew were going to be passing over within days, minutes, and uh, Humphrey was always there to make sure people were happy in that time. But I'd, I've also seen and been there with Humphrey when I've witnessed kids get well. Mm. They just get better simply because of Humphrey being around and uh, it was a doctor at when the children's hospital was at Camperdown, and it just stayed with me all these years, Troy. That uh, I said, uh, I said, doctor, we visit regularly and year after year. Why is it? How is it that when Humphrey comes through and talks to these kids, um, they get better? And he said, Roscoe, I'm here to tell you. The one thing that Humphrey B. Bear gives the world is hope. And I think in the nicest sense, that's always stayed with me. And that's why Humphrey and I have been mates for a long time. I am his official choreographer and director uh, and speechwriter. <laughs> so uh, he has been – he is an – well, he is an a, a OAM. I mean, he's, he is an Australian icon and he has the OAM. Uh, award and so he should be because he still continues to be even though Humphrey's now missed a couple of generations on television every time we go out together and we appear in public the place just is in an uproar mm. every child no matter what age especially the grandmas yeah you know, yep. they're doing everything Humphrey wants within one minute 
He is such a source of joy, and I'm looking forward to his new series coming in through as well too. Oh, okay, well, and and, and, we'll and the movie, and the movie. <laughs> we will we look out for that. As your TV career um, starts to wind down a little bit, you radio becomes pretty big for you as well, and still is. You're presenting on Vintage FM in Penrith. Um, tell us about your love of radio and, and the things you've done in, in that sector. Right. The reason why I began the radio story here with Mike Walsh, my, one of my mm. great mates in life. Significant and I, player in Penrith for a while there. Yeah, well, he was. He had mm. the, the radio station. I was talking with him and his manager, and they said, well, we're moving out of here. And they said, but there is a, a need for radio. And I said, well, Penrith's got to have its own radio station. So I fought to establish what was then a community station, it's now grown up to where we are now, mm. full, full-fledged and commercial, and f- we're literally all over the world. I'm huge in China. I'm huge in Canada, <laughs> you know, and, and it's great. And there was somebody just recently, too, that uh, just said, well, we turn you on. We're on all the time, and when you, know when, you know when people are genuine because they can quote the mad things that you've said, mm. and it is a risk with Roscoe. <laughs> and what what is it about radio that um, that you love so much? The adventure, the information, the fact that we are in so many years over the over uh, over the years to to being at the front line with floods, being at the front line with bushfires, to have a crash where the Department of you know, the, the Roads and Maritime, whatever they call mm. now, to they ring Roscoe, can you get the traffic off the highway and send them up? The, the back wave through Richmond, and it happens. Mm. Uh, the immediacy, the information, the community, the contact, the fact that uh, people enjoy your madness, as well as the uh, – I did a lot of serious stuff as well too. And I think that form of communication, I would believe the immediacy of radio and the need for people in the areas that we're broad- broadcasting through is to be able to know that we're talking about them, their home, their location. And that's why I believed in the beginning, all those years ago, that we needed to have one and fight one. And it was a battle. I'm here to tell you, there were things that people, for their own reasons, were trying to hijack radio Mm. uh, for their own nonsense. But that didn't happen. It happened our way. There's something about radio, I guess, that you become... People know you a lot better than even through TV and on the stage, even though all those years there, they, they become, I guess, a lot closer to you thanks to radio. Yes, yes, yes. Even though I'm, uh, like I'd, all those years with television, you're in everybody's lounge room for decades. And, and, and I still love the fact that people love what I – and they still think I'm on bandstand. They still think <laughs> I am you – know, how's Brian Henderson and, <laughs> as though it is today? So we've lived – through an enormous uh, range of of aspects, and yes, it is. It's great that I, the people when I talk to them in the street, they remember me on bandstand like as recently as yesterday, mm-hmm. and different things that I do within the community work we do because we look after a lot of a lot of charities and a lot of disadvantaged people through the through the foundation, mm. through the radio. So. Yeah, radio, it's a vital, powerful source of information. And you've only, it's not just me, it's everyone. You get out of the car and you keep in your brain and you keep singing the last jingle you heard or the last song Mm. until you get back into the (laughs) car and reprogram yourself with yet another song. 
we'll get to that pretty extensive charity work in a moment, but just a couple of other career-related things, because you've had a few twists and turns at different times. Harness racing, for example, um, not not quite the same as show business, but you went in to become a harness racing driver as well. I mean, yeah. there's been why so many different uh, variants? And, oh, and I'm a tell us about beak. harness racing. I'm a sticky beak, and I push life to the to the edge, uh, and and I love it because the more you learn, the more useful a person you become. I've been riding horses since it came up yesterday, last night. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, that I used to ride a horse on Bondi Beach when I was about four, six, seven, eight, mm. and he was called Wee Walla Walla. And I, for how the heck I remembered that, I don't know. <laughs> but I've always loved horses. Horses and I have always had a great relationship. And I decided years ago I wanted to be able to develop a sport to uh, that would keep me going and be so I could be competitive and you know I'm a very competitive little bloke and and I love winning and when they beat me and my horses on the track they're doing good and I've got one boy coming up at the minute too Choi he's I'm still doing it and uh, of course officially I think I'm a bit too old now <laughs> to hold the license, but I am the oldest licensed racing driver in Australia. You, you released a book and the uh, of your life, and the cover, despite you know many years in TV and yeah. on stage, is is you in in the harness in racing the, driver's uh, chair. So, yeah, well, well, it must be pretty important to you. It, it was, and I think it it also is important. I've, the numbers of blokes your age and the blokes that. Uh, that inspired them. They've seen my win, and they've seen me competitive, and they've seen me develop beautiful horses. And they said, "You've inspired me to get into the game." And others were inspired to get back into the game. They said, "If an old bloke like you can do it," mm. <laughs> so, so uh, yes. And I've got one that's coming through at the minute. He's looking okay. really good. Excellent. So, a lot of you driving at Penrith Paceway, so that of course keeps you connected with probably Penrith my, as well. Yeah, prior, yeah. My favourite track. Uh, I love the Bankstown track. I love all the tracks, and and I've got good stories from from most of them. And it's a great and it's a great family sport too. And you like the, the paceway of a Thursday night. Hmm. The kids that are there running up and down the hills, and and they love the horses, and they really are. And the, of course the the standard bread, which is the one that we use for the harness racing, trotting, and and pacing. Uh, they're beautiful animals to work with. Penrith changed. You know, significantly since you first arrived in, in the 80s, yeah. but it, does, does going to somewhere like the Penrith Paceway on a Thursday night just keep that connection with its history um, yes. as well? Because it's it's a part of Penrith that obviously has remained for all of those years. Yes, it really has. And and look at the, the vision of Roger Cowan when he changed the geography of Penrith, when he moved mm. the club from where it is was to where it is now, the whole geography of Penrith. So that's been a massive change. Mm. And what about the changes of today when you you drive along the highway across even Kingswood there at the railway line yep. and these towering buildings, they're, in, they're towering over the top of us, <laughs> a little on the side streets. So mm. and, and the changing face of Penrith, it's every minute. Let's talk about your community work because it is it is very extensive and it's it's probably too too extensive to go through every bit of it. But why did you first start wanting to to really give back to the community? Because you've got you've got the Ross Hutchison Foundation, you've got the Carer Car, we've got so many different things you've worked with with Rotary, four Carer Car, uh, four Carer Cars <laughs> out and about. There we've got Rotary that you've been very involved with. What yeah. what made you, despite being pretty busy with all of this career related stuff, to really want to give back to the community of Penrith? 
I, it's a good question. I think it just evolved because you, you get to see the needs of people. My dad, uh, for his work with Legacy, and that, he was given the Queen's own medal. He has the, the Queen's medal. He was at, through the RSL club, Parramatta, of which he was the president. He, he was foster father to 500 families of Legacies. Now, I think where I'd often said, sure, if I could amount to half the man my dad is, I'd be doing okay. Hopefully he'd be proud of what I've done. And I, th- I think I'm a bit of a chip off the old block there. But also when you work with Rotary and we have the Lions Clubs and Apex, great people that, that mm. do a fabulous job within the community, all volunteers. And it's very easy to be a volunteer, but sometimes you find volunteers find it hard to be consistent. So... I think that I know for a fact that out of that, where we needed or I deal with domestic violence victims and children that are abused, and and you and you watch what my performing career I did, the the Panther Cubs story we talked about earlier. There were so many kids who were damaged at that stage, but the working with them and other people is calling instilling in them self worth, mm. self love, self esteem, and uh, and I guess that is why. I find it valuable, the work that I do through my ministry, through my community work. I don't find it hard. I, I find it it's, it's rather a, a, it's a gift and it's an absolute privilege and an honour to be able to help people change their lives. So even though I work on it every day of the week, I haven't taken delivery and then delivered to domestic because a lot of people... Yeah, nobody's allowed where they are because we're mm. hiding them mm. and, and protecting them. And there's a lot of stories within those stories that remain private. But the trust that people have in Roscoe is is very humbling. And it's it's – I don't know how it evolved. I just saw the need and hopefully I'm keeping my end up. Let's talk about a couple of those projects. You mentioned four carer cars out there. Now, that's something that – We've read a lot about, but, but probably a lot of people still don't know about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a such an important service. Tell us about what the, the carer cars are all about. Well, <laughs> Noddy was the first one. We've had two Noddies. And from the Noddy story, which takes people to their uh, to their doctors, to their hospital, because Noddy can go anywhere. And my cars, because they're registered under the Ross Hutch Foundation, they can go where places where ambulances can't go and taxis can't go and they get borrowed by service clubs and that to pick people up and take them home. It's been a situation. There's once at the pen, a lovely lady, she was ta- having stuff delivered at her house and there was nobody there to receive it. She lived on her own. Nobody was allowed to go with it, but the Noddy and the assistant Noddies were able to drive in there, pick her up, take her home, wait for the delivery and bring her back to the hospital. Mm. So they work in and have it a, a great uh, place in the community. And we need another dozen of them, Troy. Mm. And I was hoping there'd be a lot of others organisations could have picked up that challenge because they're forgotten people. Mm. And that's the sadness in life when people do forget we forget that there are people who just need a kind word. I've situations where I've, from nursing homes, I've been able to pick up male and females, just take them here to what is now an Nepean village, and they just get them a pair of slippers. Mm. It changes their life, Troy. And that's what I think we all are about. And then there's the other one. I'm actually driving that one today. 
because after a funeral service I'll conduct, we've got to go and pick up somebody who are in wheelchairs. So it's a rear access wheelchair car. And then the other good story that was also in the Crest Zest Awards. It's yes, last the, Friday. The last Friday, where we had the other car, which is achieving such success with kids that are d- disabled, but more importantly, underprivileged in so many ways that we're able to give them this supply. Again, Rotary here, go with my Rotary volunteers uh, being uh, used here as uncles, if you want to put for a better word, to supervise the kids to get them their last 20 hours, whatever they need to get it, and we're having our first results from this car, and it's called Countdown Roscoe 21. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, that's what the badging of the car. But to know the success that this car within the community with these kids now able to get their licence and to say to be hugged by this <laughs> picks me up and says, Roscoe, thank you for my licence. And because I've got my licence now, I've got a job. Because if people haven't got a licence, they can't get a job. Mm. So that again, I'm really, they're all very positive results and they're, they're – Twenty-four-seven. Yeah. Where, where does the energy come from um, for you? Because you, I see you pretty early in the morning. You know, might be getting a coffee uh, as you're preparing for your work on vintage and getting underway there. And throughout the day, you're obviously at your um, the foundation and and doing in your clinic and doing all your work there. Then at night, you're off doing other things as well. Where, where does the energy come from? Where does what when you get up in the morning? Oh. What, what makes Mate, you want to keep well, doing like, it all? Well, I'll give you my opening mantra. Everything, yeah, thank you, creator of all that is. Thank you, universe. Thank you, God, whoever your God is, for the gift of this brand new day. It's a day that I've never lived before and I never will again, so look out. I, I, get, I get up pumped because every day life is one huge miracle. It's a privilege to be part of it. And quite like uh, there will be the days... Similar to what we're talking about now, it'll be a similar day tomorrow that here, yes, I've done and doing my morning program of vintage and then I'll proceed to do a hospital visit because if people need uh, just a visit, people I know or don't know, uh, then a funeral and then I'll do clinic again. And one of my days of of, of recent, because I'm also patron of Queen of Hearts, patron of the Police Citizens Years Club, patron of Taunton Place where there's a lot of uh, disadvantaged people there we look after. But I'll be we're putting together a new team for the PCYC. And so that'll be involved in all those uh, aspects. So I, and, if I, and if I'm lost at any night and I don't have anything to do, I find a Rotary Club. I go, because I know I'm going to be in good company, I'm going to learn something else. I have a... Life is just a miracle, and life is fabulous, and I can't, uh, I can't get enough of it. So if that's where the energy comes from, and there are times, yes, I get tired, <laughs> I get tired, and uh, and I need my moments within myself of meditation. Uh, and, uh, but I think that the rewards of being able to live life on the edge—I've broken bones in every part of my body doing that. I don't recommend it for everybody, <laughs> but it's uh, it's just, and I get to spend time with. You know, I've known you for a long time. I've watched your incredible career and your wonderful successes. Been proud to know you. Been proud to call you a mate, and I'm qualified to comment because I've seen you close up <laughs> over many, many years, and and the different people that are now walking into my life that are helping me do more because mm. one is I need help. 
I mean, it's, and volunteers are the most valuable resource we have. Everything I do is voluntary. And all the dollars that I raise, everything goes into my charity work. So, uh, you know, we can't have enough. And I'm looking to develop the team even further because we have so many things that we have to look after and more and more arriving every day. I think I know the answer to the question, but uh, will Roscoe ever retire? Oh, no. No, mate. I've, I, I, have, I have toyed with the idea. <laughs> um, what would you do? I'd probably just keep doing. Yeah, <laughs> mate, I'll go out centre yeah, center stage somewhere. I'll cark it or, or behind a microphone. <laughs> I'll be doing something. It'll be uh, – you've got to be fit when you die. It's the number one route. So. Let's just talk about Penrith a little bit more because we, we mentioned the growth of, of Penrith. But yeah. does the, has the fabric changed all that much since the, when you came here in the 80s and it's very community-driven? Um, are you concerned about the future or do you think that we're, we're still on the right track as far as the, the region's concerned? I, yes. There's a lot of yeses and there's a couple of noes because I think there are situations that could be improved and I think we need to be more focused on a couple of the things we are, I am concerned for the youth and the kids, the lack of leadership and inspiration of our young kids. I'm actually, would you believe I'll be working on that through the PCYC again uh, as their patron and, and a bit of a mentor because of my, the success of my programs that I've had with kids and young and old over many years. That's, we're working on that, that reinstating uh, what was part of the Ross Hutchison Academy, mm. all those thousands of kids that we that came through us and through the Cubs, and they still come back. Some of some of them are grandparents that <laughs> I was teaching when I was young, and there will be times when they all pop in to say a letter Roscoe, which I love, and I'm so privileged and uh, really moved by the the respect and the love and the, the great memories. So if we got it right once, I believe we can get it right again. But I do believe, and I do know. I should not have one little bloke have to do so much within a community. I'm also concerned that there are a lot of people who are paid a lot of money and then they ask me to do the job. It gives me the willies a bit. There are, uh, I think we need a redirection. Of, uh, and I've mentioned it a couple of times for those who should and could do something. Mm. Uh, about accountability. I'm trying to trying to put yeah, it in a nice way, yeah. mate. But there's a lot of frauds out there, and uh, would be if they could be. Uh, so I, we've got to catch up real quick because the needs are expanding every day, and the ability of people to work mm. because of job. The, the jobs just disappear. The positions disappear due to the changes. So we need to be equipped one to maintain our self esteem. And uh, self-driven purpose. Given your um, ability to inspire and, and the great leadership you've shown over the years, you, you have dabbled a little bit in politics, but but not in a huge way. Was politics ever something you, you had a, a dream to really chase? Or oh, yeah, I, I I'm not sure. Sure, it was just. See, I'm just so fiercely independent. There were those within with it, and it really was only because of my love of Penrith, and I do know what works for Penrith. I know it's, I've been mm. there. I'm, I'm on the front lines and I do get rung every day. How do we do this? How do we do that? And that's nothing to do with ego. Nothing. I'm, I've never had, I've never had trouble with my ego. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm mm, a doer. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a doer. And I, <laughs> I, 
I love Penrith so much. Yes, I have put my hand up, but I haven't been because there's a lot of big strengths against Mm. a little bloke. Absolutely. All right. So the little bloke, he just keeps going anyway, and uh, I do it for him. Is it something though you'd want to do in the future? Would you would you rule out political tilt? No, no, Troy. I would not. I would not rule it out at all. Yeah. I think I'm good. I think I'm, I don't. I have no problems with me, mm. uh, and I would love to serve Penrith from the front lines because I love love front front line work, and I'm sure there would be those who would really love me to be in council and there are those, no. Because what you see is what you get and I'm straight up the middle and it has to be, whatever I do, it has to be good for Penrith, Penrith people and all the regions that surround us. So, yeah, but given a fair dinkum chance, uh, because it's a bit hard. It's very expensive when you're a one-out chap. And you don't have other people to fund your campaigns. Hmm. Do I put that right? Oh, I think I think <laughs> the, the fact that obviously the big parties can spend a fair bit of money makes it very hard for oh, for, for independents along the way. And, sure. and yeah, and I've got to I've got to be independent. And because the reality too, choice we've got great people here hmm. in Penrith, in in our council, in the general workforce. There, we've got great uh, councillors as well. And whether it's Labor or Liberal. They each have good ideas, mm. and that's what an independent should be in the position to just say, that's a great idea, Let's, it's good for Penrith, good for Penrith people, Liberals are good for people, good for Penrith, let's do it. Yep. Not you know, playing games and mm. trading this off and that off and this. Uh, up the middle, what's right for Penrith, let's do it. Yep. Last question, and the last question we ask everyone on this series, um, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, little bloke, had a go. Simple as that? Simple as that. Roscoe, thank you for joining us and um, all the best with the many, many projects that you still have on the, uh, on the boil. Well, I've got a few of them, all right. <laughs> you going to help me? I'll, I'll, give my, I'll do my best. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Ross Hutchison there, and of course, so you can hear Ross on Vintage FM and make sure that you uh, check out the Ross Hutchison Foundation for all of the great work that Ross does in the community. Make sure, of course, that you uh, look at westernweekender.com.au slash podcast to see other podcasts from this series and make sure you follow The Weekender on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and, of course, the print edition of The Weekender out every Friday. Thanks for your company. We'll see you next time on the On The Record podcast.